My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Welcome to Transmissions. It's great to have you here with us. We've got a bonus episode for you as we head into the weekend. Today on the show, I'm joined by Ripley Johnson of Moon Duo, Wooden Ships, and most recently, Rose City Band. Reviewing the latter's excellent new album of rural psychedelia, Earth Trip, Aquarium Drunkard's Tyler Wilcox praised Johnson for his zoned-out guitar work noting that his solos are always on point, often drifting into Garcia-like zones without ever slipping into pointless idolatry. He's developed into a guitarist who rarely takes a wrong step, minimal, moody, and lovely. Johnson joined us for a conversation about coming up in the punk and counterculture scenes, juggling multiple bands, the influence of the dead, and the ultimate rock and roll statement of Question Mark and the Mysterians' 96 Tears. I had a great time with Ripley, and I think you will too. Enjoy this conversation, and I'll speak with you more on the other side. Uh, Ripley, thanks so much for taking the time to hang out here with us on Transmissions. It's great to have you here. My pleasure. So at this point, you've got a couple of distinct channels for your music. You've got Wooden Ships, Moon Duo, Rose City Band, uh, and you've got a new record with that last one, Earth Trip. It's your third album under the Rose City Band name in three years, right? That's right, yeah. Time flies. Um, is is this mode the sort of country boogie kind of rootsy thing? Uh, is it feeling especially uh, invigorating to you right now? Is it is it feeling especially good? It is. Um, for me, it's kind of like a return to the music of my youth. Mm. Although the, you know, the more I think about it, it's like um, it's not that different from the other stuff that I do. Um, but yeah, it's more like going back for me. That's what it feels like. It feels like exploring maybe more of the vibe and the, the textures and instrumentation of um, the music that I listened to and like when I was a teenager, when I first became sort of obsessed with music and first started playing music. I noticed, I mean, there's certainly some overlap, you know, like I was listening to to is it uh i'm gonna let this helicopter pass over i can't uh, hear it <laughs> okay is it uh it, it, it is was the wooden ships album was it v or was it five How, it's v you... technically but yeah it's also our fifth album so okay cool a good a good little <laughs> uh d- you know double double nod there um yeah but like I, you know, listening to that one and then listening to the new Rose City Band, like I definitely, you can sense the overlap. There is a, a, you know, do the projects feel sort of conversational to you? 
to some degree where they sort of bleed into each other or are they a little bit more defined in your head? They, they had been more defined um, when it was Moon Duo and Wooden Ships. They were sort of a clear line for me as far as what kind of songs I was writing and where they were going. And um, yeah, I think with the last couple of Wooden Ships records, actually even Back to Land, I was kind of leaning into, um, you know, what I might call like a classic rock kind of sound. <laughs> and I was leaning everything that way because I was interested in that. And again, that's the music of my youth. And the same with the other guys in the band. And I think for me, that part part of that was trying to connect with those guys. Because we have this, I've been friends with those guys since I was in high school, basically. And um I knew that that was the music of our youth and we don't, but we don't talk about music together. Really. We don't talk about our own music. We don't talk about, mm. we don't really hang out anymore. I mean, we'd all live sort of separate. Um, so when we would get together and do stuff like that was my way of connecting with them and, and our way of connecting with each other, I think in general. Yeah. Um, was through the music. And, and I, I think I was just leaning into that a little bit um, with those last couple albums and then the Rose City Band is just sort of a full leap into that, um, just my own personal idea of exploring that, you know. Yeah, and I like that you said that, that it's it's your personal idea of it, because reading stuff about the Rose City stuff specifically, the Rose City Band recordings, I noticed a lot of references to, like, classic country and things like that, and, and obviously that's very much in the mix it's it's very clearly in the mix but it's not like this is some sort of retro country record or that anything you've done has been quite so on the nose as that so it does seem to me like this is sort of that sort of thing maybe a rootsy bandy kind of thing filtered through your whole vibe you know so i think i think that's 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 really interesting and that the overlap between that and wooden ships, you know, and then you've got moon duo off on the side doing like disco -y type stuff. So it's yeah. like, you've got, you've got all the bases covered pretty, pretty well. Yeah. It's very convenient for me <laughs> <laughs> to have these different outlets. And yeah, I, it's interesting. Like I, there's such a, there's such a small degree of difference between different types of rock and roll. Sure. That it's, it's just like, is there really a difference, <laughs> you know? So it's just like vibe and, you know, I, for me, since I'm not a trained musician, like I couldn't make something on the nose if I, if my life depended on it. Like I would have to hire a bunch of like Nashville studio people. Yeah. And then maybe I could fake it, but I still, even then I probably wouldn't be able to. Um, so that's kind of a blessing because that's not anything that I'm interested in at all. So, um, right. yeah. So, this is yeah, my own like personal sort of idiosyncratic take on that kind of thing. And even like the idea of that, that it is a thing I, I grapple with that. I mean, I, I know I learned this early on when we put out the first wooden ships record. Um, our friend, John, who runs the Holy mountain label, he said to me, like, whatever you put in the, in the press release will get regurgitated over and over again yeah. throughout media. Yeah. So be really careful what you write. But the lesson there is also like, 
if you write something, it'll get regurgitated. <laughs> so, um, if you write country rock, people will just take that for granted. And, you know, I had a friend, I did the first Rose City Band record and I told, I've been talking about doing this for years, doing a con so-called country rock record and I made it. And I, you know, my friend was like, it's not really country. <laughs> it's not really country rock. I was like, yeah, I know, but it's like my idea of like countrified rock. Yeah. But it's yeah. not really that also. I'm just saying it's that. And people seem to be taking it at face value, but the more I think about it, the more the more I think about the like the influences and the and the stuff I was into as a kid, um, even just like Dylan, you know, like he made yeah. records that you know, that has country instrumentation, but it's not really country. Yeah, I mean he yeah. even what yeah, he even went to to Nashville to record uh the Highway 61. I'm, I, think, I might be. I, might I think be that was the yeah, Blonde on Blonde, Highway 61. Um, right, right. So yeah, the country instrumentation thing. It's well, it's 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 always so interesting that that country still it it retains the sort of like allure, you know, especially for like rock rock yeah. people, you know. Uh, and I guess maybe you could trace that back to whoever you know, Graham Parsons or or the the stones you know obviously loving country music so passionately and so i think there's always that thing of sort of like for so many rock songwriters or or punk songwriters or whatever kind of thing you want to drop in there there's this idea that like i'm going to make my like country record it's going to be like my authentic down home getting back to the real stuff not this other stuff you know <laughs> yeah um and the cool thing about the Rose City Band records is they don't they don't feel like that at all to me. You know what I mean? Like it's still very very fusiony in terms of like you bringing that psychedelic thing to it and the sort of all of that is in the mix. And it it, it I I get annoyed increasingly annoyed by people who get hung up on authenticity, you know, or like now I'm gonna make a country record and that means that there's a predetermined set of uh, rules that I'm going to adhere to because I, you know, that's what I'm doing now. And, and I understand the need for frameworks, um, but I like to have like a little bit, I, I, I'm interested in music where the framework is set up a little bit and then it's there to support what's happening, but it doesn't box what's happening in. And that's the vibe I get from, from all your records, even with, with Moon Duo, when you know, when you guys are playing with sort of more electronic or dancey stuff or, a couple of years ago, I interviewed you guys and we talked sort of about the influence of the occult. And you said something a little bit similar, you know, in that like, yeah, we're taking little ideas from all sorts of stuff. And I think that that's really, that's really clear that that's part of what you're doing on the Rose City Band records. That's good. I'm glad that comes through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, my, some of my favorite country stuff are the people who got out of Nashville that fought the establishment and, and, Country in general is so weird because, you know, original, I mean, I think you can take it even further back, like you were saying, the, the difference between rock and country. You know, Chuck Berry used to, they used to call him country Chuck Berry because he sounded so country. Yeah. You listen to it now and he's such a, such a blueprint for rock and roll that it's hard to think, you know, to see that, that reference. But, you know, country and rock came out of the same thing in a way. Um, and it and it evolved country evolved into this like machine of pop music you know for a certain audience and 
and most of the interesting artists that I that I like fought against that and got out of Nashville, you know. Yeah. And now whatever country is now, I don't know what it is. You know, like I if I hear it accidentally, it's just like what what is this? Like I don't even know what they're trying to do. Like Yeah. It's a I mean it certainly depends. I think there are probably great country artists right now. I know there are. Um oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that said, yeah, you turn on a country radio station and everything sounds like Mutt Lang produced it or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like or, or, or like <laughs> Or worse, you know, like, 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 yeah, it's sort of like stadium rock with like some twang over the top and, and, and it sucks, but, um, stadium rock when they just mention a truck, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) But it's funny that you mentioned Mutt Lang because like, and this might not be true. I feel like I read this, but so Shania Twain, he, he produced Shania Twain stuff, right? Yeah. So I read and I could be totally wrong. So don't you know, listen to me if, if this is wrong. Um, but she made a record and there were two versions. They mi- they did a version that was a country version and a version that was a pop version. Yeah. It was essentially the same t- tracks, probably the same vocals. And they just had fiddle on one. <laughs> yeah. Pedal steel. And on the other one, they had synth and whatever else. Right. And the drums were probably different. And I thought, I, I actually thought that was kind of a brilliant idea. Yeah. They had two completely different versions but just have them spiced differently. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny too, that I brought up Mutt Lang in like a, in like a disparaging fashion. Cause some of the production I do actually enjoy. I mean, I, <laughs> I do like him as a producer on certain things, you know, like those cars records or whatever, you know, like I yeah, can, sure. I can definitely, I can definitely get down I, and I can get, I can get down with Shania. All right too. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, well, so you've mentioned a little bit about sort of the music of your youth and the stuff that you dug when you were a kid. What what was on the radio for you? What were the things that you gravitated towards? Um, the Stones were like my first big like love of like a particular band. Um, and then I was, a, I mean, I'm still a Stones fan, but, um, you know, I grew up listening to classic rock radio until I could have you know, get my own records or made friends and could exchange tapes and stuff. Um, but yeah, the stones were big. And then when I got really into it, um, Neil Young, Van Morrison, the dead, um, Hendrix, Funkadelic, early Pink Floyd, not so much the later stuff. Yeah. Credence, Johnny Cash, Merle Haggard. Um, yeah, you know, like the standard Zeppelin a little bit. You know, I was yeah. like into Zeppelin, but not super into Zeppelin. I liked sure. some of the doors, but not all of the doors. But like my big ones were like Neil, The Velvet Underground, The Dead, um, The Stones. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, I mean, obviously you're talking some just some of the best stuff that's ever been recorded as yeah. far as i as far as i'm as far as i'm concerned but also you know what and and that was mostly what you were sort of hearing uh sort of naturally for the most part no that or, was or were you, I, seek, you were seeking stuff out I, that's yeah. when i started seeking things out yeah got it i mean before yeah, yeah, that yeah. it was it was you know M- mtv i remember when mtv came out and i would watch mtv and see all of the stuff on there i mean I, the first time i heard lou reed was some ridiculous video that he had. On yeah. TV. It might've been my red joystick, uh, you know, like it was just one of those like solo songs or no, it was, I love women. That was the one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I love women. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, MTV was really weird because growing up in a small town, all of a sudden you just had all these different artists being beamed into your living room. And yeah. All pretty... of the, the imagery that went with that. And, and it was really cool, actually. And you and you grew up in Connecticut. Yeah. What what was the what was what was the town you grew up in like? Nothing going on at all. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Just n- yeah. Nothing. How did you How did you spend time as a teenager then? How did you pass the time? Oh, as a teenager, um, in the woods. Yeah. Up, up to no good, basically. Up to no good in the woods. I mean. Yeah. yeah. With like I a mean, boom, once, with a just, boom box or anything, would you take music out there? Always, always yeah. with a boom box. And whatever, you know, psychedelic drugs we could get our hands on, which was not easy back then. Um, sure. Especially in a town with nothing going on. Yeah, we would go to like, you know, there were local jam bands or regional jam band shows at like Max Creek and yeah, basically Max Creek. And whenever the dead came through, you know, you would go, I mean, we would go see the dead, but a lot of times we would go to things just to score try to score acid <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> which is what you you could do that so it was just like that was the reliable way which is why i think a lot of communities hated deadheads and stuff but sure it was like a traveling drug marketplace in some ways the lot scene yeah 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 so so what was it that brought you out to the west coast because have you i mean correct me if i'm wrong you've been pretty much on the west coast ever since right yeah i i hated new england i i just didn't like the, the culture at all. And um, I went to college in Santa Cruz and never looked back, really. Yeah, yeah. And once I got to California, I almost couldn't believe it. I was just like, this is amazing. Yeah. What did it's you? Just what, so different. Just in terms of cultural just the 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 sort of available you know uh wealth of culture essentially yeah and people just letting their freak flags fly everywhere and yeah. it's fine like no one cared you know that yeah. was the big thing is like it just wasn't that big of a deal you know and like seeing people like go into a taqueria without shoes on it's just like that's pretty amazing <laughs> you know it's like everything was just much more relaxed did you uh did you feel at home pretty quickly um yeah i guess so i don't know about home a home feeling i felt like i was where i belonged you know like i felt like i'd found my people also like right in santa cruz there was a great music scene um not so much in clubs because it but it was like it was younger you know kids um house parties backyard parties you know the weather was amazing so were you already playing music at that point? Yeah, but barely, like not very well, basically. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that was that was very formative. Yeah. So 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 you did you, w- w- were you on guitar at first uh, when you kind of yep. got into stuff? Yeah. Yep. Always on guitar. So what was the scene like? And 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 coming from the sort of jammy thing, I mean, were you drawn to to similar stuff? when you were when you made your way out to california or did you start to get turned on to sort of more expansive or or underground stuff definitely more underground stuff that we just didn't have access to um i i would get stuff through i was into skating when i was a kid Mm -hmm. so i get thrasher yeah and i discovered sst records that way 
and Black Flag, JFA, Arizona Boys. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, like, I got the the Blasting Concept Volume Two, which is an SST sampler that has, you know, like a Meat Puppets version of "I Just Want to Make Love to You" that's like really long and just has like crazy <laughs> solos and Saint Vitus is on there, and and it was just like. Oh, okay. There's stuff out there that's really yeah. interesting. But then going to California, all my roommates, you know, everyone was. This is before Nirvana got really big, so Bleach was out. Um, so I heard Nirvana and Mudhoney, and my roommate was really into the Pixies and Sonic Youth and Ice T. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I was just absorbing all of that stuff. And and Dino- Dinosaur. Um, that was huge. There's a lot of the groups that you just mentioned, people like, uh, you know, Dinosaur Jr. and Meat Puppets, uh, that even though it's not like always at the forefront of the of the music, some of those classic influences that you were talking about, Neil specifically, you know, yeah. or well, I mean, obviously Sonic Youth were just like Neil Young apostles, basically. They spread the good word to anybody, you know, but like, did you have a sense listening to some of that stuff? Did did punk or underground rock or independent rock, did that feel sort of like, okay, this is a different thing than all the stuff I dug? Or did it feel more like a continuum to you? It, it felt, at the time, it felt like a reaction to the 80s in general yeah. and yeah. the hair metal especially that was so dominant at the, the latter part of the 90s or the 80s. Yeah. Um, and everything just super polished and and phony and and not that there aren't good things about that, you know, and, and good albums or whatever. It's not my thing, but sure. it was like <laughs> it was, you know, like when you looked at Mudhoney or Dinosaur or Nirvana at first, anyway, like they kind of looked like Neil Young. <laughs> yeah, you know, the grunge right. thing and the fashion thing in Santa Cruz, like you know, broke students, you know, or just not even students. Some of them just broke kids in bands, um, thrift store shopping. Right. And this, the whole thrift store thing, like Kurt Cobain, when I first saw him, I was like, this is, he's like my friends, like the ratty cardigan and yeah. the ironic t-shirts, all that stuff. Like you could still buy all these sixties clothes really cheap in thrift stores and you could find, you know, pedals and guitars and, and that whole kind of trashy aesthetic. Like, we're not going to look a particular way for you. Like, we're not going to try yeah. to look like rock stars. We're just going to plug in and wear this dirty flannel and and we have this cheap guitar and we're just going to bash this out. Yeah. Yeah. And that that really appealed to me for sure. And and it's there's yeah, there's a there's a clear connection with Neil Young and that. Yeah, and I saw for sure. I, I saw my first Neil show was in 86. It was the Life Tour. Oh, yeah. Which is a really weird not very good album but he you know when neil came out he still was wearing and it's funny to think now like 86 you know he was still wearing those same jeans that he was wearing in the 70s oh like still, yeah with like weird patches and shit patches. on them yeah, yeah. And it was like if you think about it now it's like well you know 10 years earlier was the mid 70s and it wasn't that far removed and yeah he still had the same like stage stuff that he had from live rust um and he played with crazy horse and 
it wasn't that far removed, you know? So to go from that in 86 and then going to Santa Cruz and meeting all these young kids who were just, clearly there was a through line yeah, you know, from Neil to what was going on then. Um, so it, totally, it made total sense when Sonic Youth, you know, toured on the Ragged Glory tour. And that just made so much sense to me. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if it was a direct inspiration or whatever, but I know that that was that the tour where Neil recorded the, he put together like the arc weld, the feedback thing. Yeah. The uh, arc thing. Arc. And then, yeah, I mean that to me, it must've been such a cool thing for, for Neil Young to be like, Oh man, all these cool kids like dig what I do, you know? Uh, I don't know if he cared at all. Who knows? But it, you know, certainly. I think Thurston Moore came up with that idea. Like, you should just take all okay. this feedback and string it together. Yeah. And I'm sure Neil was like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Well, he's always been such a weirdo. I mean, he loves Devo. He loves all that stuff. Neil's like the prototype for the arty, the arty guy who can do who can do the rustic stuff, you know, can pull out the acoustic guitar and make beautiful songs in that mode. And then also, you know, here's a dirge. Like, we're going to play this riff for 15 minutes. And it's yeah. like that rules too, you know, was, was that, so when did you make your way to San Francisco? How did that, how did that happen? Well, I, when I graduated, I moved up there. That's sort of what, what people did. Yeah. You know, when you graduate, where do you go? And unless you go home um, or wherever you're from, or you go to LA, you know, I just gravitated up to San Francisco cause it was close. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was it there sense. Was there a sense, I mean, at that sense, did you start, were you starting to feel like, obviously, as somebody who had been to dead shows, you know, did you sort of have a sense that, like, San Francisco is a, a, a kind of specific place that you wanted to be? Did you feel drawn there to some degree? Um, in, yeah, in some ways, like, I, I, I love the history of it, you know, like, the counterculture history that's there. And at yeah. the time, you know, mid-90s, 95, 96, there were still a lot of old hippies just still living in the same apartment they'd been in since the sixties and right. same neighborhoods. And that all was still very much there. Um, I'd soured on the dead. <laughs> like I got point? into, I was into the dead in this in high school. And then in college I got into, I got really into the stooges and I got into harder kind of stuff. Yeah. And the, the dead, the deadhead scene is what really, it just really, just turned me off. Yeah. Um, and it took me years to get back into, to come back around and start listening to the dead again, just cause that metal scene turned me off. And, and frankly, the dead, like the shows, I think I'd seen, I think I read this recently, like I'd seen one of the worst Jerry vocal performances ever <laughs> in, in yeah. like Hartford or New Haven. There's some shows like notorious, how bad it is. And I, I felt like they weren't that great. Like when I saw them. Yeah. Now people, I mean, deadheads, they think it's the best. Like there are shows that I went to that I've seen people comment like, Oh, this was such a great show. And it's like, well, okay. But yeah. I listened to, I listen to mostly everything before 78. Right. And I like a lot of that stuff, but I feel like the 80s stuff was not so great for for me. Into into the nineties. I mean, like I my my uncle saw shows in that era and he, he gave me a stash of his tapes from that era. I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, maybe with Jesse Jarna, who is can can mount like a very eloquent and thoughtful like 
defense of some of the stuff we're talking about, you know, as is, you know, which I always appreciate, but I said something to him about how the nineties tapes, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get into it. It didn't, you can hear the, the, the weariness certainly in, in Garcia, you know, but then you hear it in everything. I think, you know, this sort of like, uh, just, I don't know the, the, I love the Grateful Dead so much, but if I had come up in the 90s, you know, I don't know that I would have because it feels to me like 60s nostalgia in the 90s was particularly like gross, you know, and like kind of just like annoying, you know, just because like the same way that there's like kind of like boomer, eternal boomer worship, you know, where it's like Rolling Stones talking you know, Rolling Stone's going to always say that this is the golden age, you know, where it's like, what about what's happening right now? But I, I, I obviously, <laughs> I, I digress. But, but at that point, yeah. the, Sto- the Stooges had kind of entered the picture pretty, pretty heavily for you by the time yeah. you got to San Francisco. Before that in college, like I, yeah. I was into heavier stuff. I was into like Blue Cheer and the PSF stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. All the Japanese stuff in the early 90s which was really hard to get, but when you could get it, it was just like, this is amazing. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. And I, so, and that's the kind of music that I was playing was just heavier um, and loud and, and fuzzy. And um, so, yeah, I didn't, I wasn't listening to a lot of that kind of stuff, but, but it's funny. Cause like, that was also a period where I discovered a lot of country music because you could find really cheap records. And I went through like an oldies phase where I was buying lots of oldies records. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my tastes have always run the gamut, but there was just a period where my interest in the dead just dropped out because sure. the deadhead culture is its such a thing to contend with. You can't, it's like patchouli smothered all over it all the time. It's like you can't separate it to just enjoy it for what it is sure. a lot of times. And, and again, I'm not down on that. I think people are very enthusiastic about it and I get that. And I still have a Dave's Picks subscription, you know, like I... I still yeah, get into the music, but but the stuff that's around it is a little bit much. Yeah, I mean, I've got some. T- I've got I've got tickets for Dead and Co. in a couple months, so I, I hear you. <laughs> I can't you know? I can't go there. <laughs> I don't I don't look. I I don't blame you. Yeah. I, I certainly won't try to mount any sort of eloquent defenses, you know. But I dig it. It's fun, you know. And and yeah. and I know what you mean, you know. I mean the 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 culture of anything can get you know. Uh, weird and and sort of like you know when things get super worshipful and but at the same time I've never had more fun talking about I've never uh, had a better time dissing certain Grateful Dead tendencies than with like really <laughs> hardcore deadheads you know what I mean like I've always appreciated that the fact that so many deadheads can also be like yeah this part sucks or whatever but uh it's Definitely. about to get good, you know. Like that's I. That's maybe Definitely. one of my favorite things about the dead. But that ties a little bit to that thing you're talking about. That sort of long form rock stuff that you were doing, right? Where like it is a lot of like droning and sort of meditative rhythmic stuff, and then all of a sudden something will happen, or there'll be a big squall or whatever. So at that yeah. point, was that pre wooden ships? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, had, I was in two bands in Santa Cruz. One was called Communicator, and one was called Botulism. And are, are are recordings available out there at all? 
Um, technically, yeah, there's a seven inch of botulism out there somewhere, yeah. but probably yeah. not very many, probably just a handful. Sure. And we made some cassettes that, again, probably no one has. I think Chris Cohen has probably more than I do because he, from um, Deerhoof and his okay, yeah. economist stuff, he, was, he played in botulism briefly on drums and we were roommates for a while. Um, so he has some recordings um, and we, we did some cassettes that we just handed out to people. But, uh, what kind of bands would, would you guys play shows with? Um, well, there was a whole, the Santa Cruz scene was really cool because everyone was really supportive, but like the styles would be, could be really different. Like my yeah. roommates, my first, one of my first roommates bands was called Candy Apples and they were really into Sonic Youth and the Pixies. And so I would say it's somewhere in that kind of yeah range or like early pavement was happening around then. Um, so it was sort of like art, pop, rock. Um, and then there was a band called Dark Horse Candidate. And all I know is they were really into the birthday party. And like, you know, we would listen to the birthday party, like go, go over to their house and drink 40s and listen to the birthday party. And yeah, um, they, so they were like more of a dark sort of brooding, moody thing that I didn't get where all their influences were coming from because I just didn't know that much about that stuff. Um, yeah, so all kinds of stuff. And then there were um, Space Boy was one and they were like a heavy like kind of Caius like a psychedelic slow metal yeah kind of thing, I guess yeah <laughs> the champs you may have heard of the fucking champs yeah for sure um they were good pals um yeah and they were like a I guess they call, people call it math rock or something like that yeah right so all that stuff is kind of swirling around and and you're in the midst of that playing guitar um when you you know when you had what what would you say uh, well so by the time you get to to wooden ships which is Mm -hmm. mid 2000s maybe 2006 or so is that right i think 2005 is when i put out the first 10 inch yeah yeah so at that point you had you'd been playing you know, for a while and had been sort of in, in, involved in things. Um, were you, were you working like an, a normal job in San Francisco as well? Yeah. I, I worked for what they now call a tech company and what they call back then a, a website. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like a website company, whatever. And, um, I worked at the same place for like 15 years. Um, so it's not one of the ones that went bust. They got bought out. Okay. And, no, they still exist. Mm. And yeah, well, not, yeah, almost 15 years, maybe 13 years. Um, and I had different jobs. I went, I got a job when I moved there. There were so many internet companies starting up. Yeah. And, you know, everyone was getting modems and getting online. And um, they just couldn't, you know, they couldn't hire enough people to do these right. jobs. And I had no experience. And I got hired doing desktop support and I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and I just learned <laughs> and then picked up different jobs while I was there and, and was like a systems person when I when I, by the time I left as a systems administrator. Nice. Managing nice. like the corporate email and stuff. Um, so you so you were working and then playing shows at night or on weekends we or whatever? I, my bands we were like failures basically. Like I was in <laughs> in Santa Cruz you'd play parties and it was fun. 
but there was no like real aspirations, you know, right. Like, right. Make a record was a huge deal. Um, um, and then botulism, we made the seven inch Tim green mixed it and we self released it and it went, you know, very few people got copies. And then we, we didn't really play that many shows in, in San Francisco because we didn't, we didn't have any success. You know, we were, we were painfully loud. And my, I remember my girlfriend at the time was just like, do you really have to be that loud? Like everyone's leak. Can you tell that everyone starts leaving the room when you guys start playing? We're like, no, no, it's just, it's part of our sound. Yeah. But we, you know, we played for a while and, and it just never really went anywhere. So we just stopped and I just sort of gave up on being in a band. I was just burnt out on the whole idea. And then I came back to it as one does when you're just, you can't help yourself. Yeah. And I got into, I took a break and I got into free jazz and I got into Terry Riley and like Lamont Young and John Cale solo, like early tape experiment stuff. And I got into Trod Gross Oxtenar when those reissues mm. started coming out. And when I got into all that stuff, like I started I finally started piecing together like what I wanted to do and what I was interested in. And it was like really minimal, repetitive, sort of primitive rock. And so, that's, yeah. yeah, that's, that was a revelation for me. It was like, what, what do I, what, what am I responding to and all this stuff? Right. Cause you recognize, you recognize something that you were hearing in that minimalist stuff that, that was sort of tied to what you loved about maybe say, Velvet Underground or or whoever, right? Definitely Velvet Underground. Like, I had a, I still have it, uh, a bootleg. Actually, I had a cassette of it at the time, but it was, it's called Sweet Sister Ray, and it's a, it's a double LP, Velvet Underground bootleg. It's four versions of Sister Ray, and they're all like over twenty minutes long. Yeah. And I would listen yeah. to that over and over again, and it's just the greatest thing. And um, when I heard Trodgrass. And I heard Lamont Young and I started in Angus McLeese, who's one of my favorites. And, you know, all the connections were there. Right. Um, so it was like, I can do this. Like, I know what I, what I want to do. And then I put together a band of initially of non-musicians. It was all people who had never played before. And that was the first Wooden Ships band. I'm glad that you, that you, that you brought up you know, sort of how you came back to the music, because that's what I was fumbling about a second ago, yeah. is I was going to ask, like, your approach to the guitar is very interesting, because it is it is very minimal, and it is very repetitive, and it is sort of that, that sort of motoric thing that we associate with, like, you know, cosmic German music, or krautrock, if you want to call it that, you know, that's part of it, but then there's also that, that scuzzy rock and roll thing, the sort of... Um, grinding distorted vibe i remember when i got when i heard when i first heard wooden ships i think i had the the album that came out on holy mountain and there there must have been an advertisement for it or something in uh arthur magazine or whatever and i remember getting that mm. and listening to it just over and over and over and over again and i do remember like a roommate roommate asking me like what is this and i was just like <laughs> it's a band called wooden ships and they're like is this is this all one song you know or like and i was just like uh i didn't know the neil young quote then where i could say like yeah it's all one song you know just like neil young but um yeah. um but that is a, that's an interesting thing so 
but it doesn't sound so it sounds like there was at least some conceptual element right where you're like i'm going to work with non-musicians uh what was what was the 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 thinking there the thinking was and this is gonna this might come across as totally obnoxious but um they wouldn't do things that I didn't want them to do. <laughs> yeah. It's and part of the reaction, like, and this is something that came up earlier with botulism and stuff, which was, and I think what a lot of grunge was not grunge, but um, some of the stuff that got put under grunge, like the reaction to the hair metal and that kind of stuff was in the eighties. And even into the nineties, there were just these drummers that just would not stop playing fills. Right. They just had terrible drum sounds. And what I wanted was someone to just play that Mo Tucker beat, you know, right. and I wanted someone who could play Augie Myers, you know, Sir Douglas Quintet or, or a question mark in the Mysterians, you know, like these are, yeah. these are to me the ultimate rock and roll statements, like 99 tears or 96 tears, just yeah. like, that's the ultimate rock and roll statement to me or the seeds. Like I, I was, I'm so into the seeds and I just wanted someone to just play the organ like you don't know how to play it. And the easiest way to do that is to get people who actually don't know how to play it. Yeah. And just say, and, and the other thing in my theory, and I still hold to this is anyone can make music. If you have the idea or the, the will or the conception and you don't have the skill, you can still do it. Right. You, you just need the idea and the will, you know? Um, yeah. It doesn't mean you can play a concerto or something, but you can do something musical that has value. Um, and I don't mean like a monetary value, but, and that was, and that goes back to the beginning of all music is, you know, banging on rocks or banging on logs and singing or chanting and the social aspect of music that, that we've lost in this country. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is getting back to that, which, you know, and like old Appalachian music to get back to country music. It's like everyone sing a song, everyone take turns singing the song. It doesn't matter if you can sing well, it's just sing, you know, just do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that was part of the idea. And, um, yeah. And it fell apart, of course, because only musicians, you have to be so driven to do such dreary work. It's just, yeah. Like you're in a dingy rehearsal room. It stinks. It's loud. <laughs> it's a pain in the butt. You know, like so. It yeah, no, not no, no non-musician has to play like a crappy club night, you know, and then yeah. is like, oh no, I want to keep doing this. This is, you know. Um, but that said, by the time you did start to incorporate musicians who were maybe a little bit more proficient, you know, the idea had been established, right? So you were probably able to yeah. find people who could go, no, I dig that. I could play that bass part, you know? Yeah, the template of... was there. And yeah. so I just, so for the first album, I recruited my friends. And, and Nash actually plays keyboards. He was playing guitar in the first iteration. Um, so he was a holdover from the non-musician outfit. Yeah. And yeah. then we got Dusty. And Dusty is an old friend and he's a great bass player. He can play very complex things, but he was playing in this glam rock band and he loved it because it was so simple. Yeah. I said, I've got a simple thing for you and you're going to love it. And and he yeah. did. And, it, and, and same with Omar, like, you know, just play the beat and, and, you know, frankly, it's challenging. It's, it's not a lot of musicians, I think 
you know, you can poo-poo it, but when you when you actually are asked to play the same thing over and over again for 20 minutes, it can be a challenge. It Yeah, absolutely. Do you find, when you sort of started exploring in that mode, how often do you find that you're not thinking about what you're doing at all? Because to me, that's sort of the thing that can happen when you are playing a, a part over and over again, right? Is like there's a thing where you, you have to think about it enough to do it. And then maybe at some point, autopilot takes over or something like autopilot. And that's when some really interesting things happen. Was that for you sort of like, were you almost after that a little bit, that that it would get there if, if the conditions were right? Absolutely. Um and I, and I, I don't think it takes long, and frankly. I, I mean, I was just at a rehearsal yesterday and I was spacing out and forgetting, like, oh, I'm supposed to sing, you know, like. Yeah. I, for me, I just get there right away. But yeah, that's that's kind of the point. And um, I, think, I think it happens pretty quickly if you have a good groove going. Does it almost feel like meditation to you? Oh, yeah. 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 Or it, I mean, it's not meditation because that, well, that's different. It, I guess it depends on the type of meditation. Um, meditation is is you're concentrating in meditation, and at least the meditation that I've done. And you, if you start spacing out, you're supposed to bring your attention back. So, <laughs> right, right. This is sort of easier than meditation because you're allowed to space out. You don't have yeah. you really have to bring your attention back until there's a change or something else has to happen. Right, um, right, right. So would early shows be fairly um, would early shows be fairly uh, improvised? Um, we would get I think we got like a few songs together and we would just yeah. stretch out. Yeah, but I mean yes. I mean, there's the way it was set up is the, the drums and bass essentially were doing the same thing over and over again yeah. and not improvising really. Yeah, because um, that's part of the trance, right? Um, right. And the guitar, of course, and the keyboards could do whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, so what brought you to, to Portland, and how long have you been there? Um, we've been here for about 10 years now. Mm. And we left, when we started Moon Duo, um, you know, we decided, I, I actually lost my job after the financial crash. And my company got bought out, and I got... I was, I became redundant and, um, I convinced Sanai, I always say I convinced her, but you know, we, we decided together that she would quit her job and <laughs> we would go on tour and, and try to, you know, give it a couple years and see if we can make a go of being musicians like full time. Yeah. We packed, how long? we packed up all our stuff and moved out of San Francisco and we actually moved to Colorado first and, and, and then to Portland. Yeah, we stayed with family, so we didn't have to pay rent, and we just put our stuff in storage and just tried to tour as much as possible. Was music a big part of your relationship's foundation already? Um, it was in the sense that, like, when we met, Sanai told me that she was really into Lou Reed, and he was her favorite musician, and I was just, I'd never met anyone who said that to me. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> I was, yeah, like, yeah. smitten right away. I was like, wow, Lou Reed, that's a good one. Um, but we're just both really into music, so. But it, yeah. but it was, it was like Sanai so had never been in a band, you know. So I was, it was kind of redoing the Wooden Ships idea in a sense. It was like the Wooden Ships was getting a lot of opportunities when when the record came out and people were listening to it, and we'd never been on tour, any of us really, and 
um, we basically said no to most things. We're just like, we can't come play your festival. Like we don't even know how to do that. Yeah. We, we slowly figured it out over the years, but a lot of those people had jobs that they liked or things they like to do. And to, to do that kind of life, you have to really kind of commit to it. Right. And, um, right. so we did minimal touring, but I was, I, I think I was more ambitious in that sense that I wanted to just go and do that. And yeah. so I was like, you know, said this and I, let's start a band. You can play keyboards. I'll play guitar. We'll get a drum machine. We'll say yes to everything. We had like a manifesto. It was like, we'll, we'll say yes to every offer and we'll just go for it. And that's how it started. So. That's awesome. Had, yeah. how, how did, how did you, so did you start putting stuff out yourself or was there sort of label interest right away? We did a 12 inch ourselves, but, um, Sacred Bones approached us, uh, approached me about doing a wooden something with the wooden chips, mm-hmm. and um, I said we couldn't, but because we were doing the Holy Mountain stuff, um, I said, but no, I have, I have this other new band if you're interested, and <laughs> I sent Caleb from from Sacred Bones these tracks that that we'd recorded, and he was like, oh yeah, that's great, I really like it. Are are, are these demos? You know, are you going to re-record these? <laughs> And I was like, no. <laughs> these are the these are the versions. This is the, this is the final product. He's like, oh, that's cool. All right. And that was Killing Time. That was our first EP. Nice. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, obviously, having you know, having the the three bands, you know, uh, I know that the, due to the way things work, right? You're you're not working on stuff for all three bands at all times or anything like that. They're kind of coming seasons. What is it that gives you an indication, you know? Okay, now I think now it's time to make a wooden ships record, or 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 I think I'm in a Rose City mode, or or hey, this is a Moon Duo time. You know, how how does that sort of present itself to you? Well, it used to be more natural. It was like phases of the moon, kind of. It was like you yeah, know, one band would do a record and do some touring, and you have that whole cycle, and you get burnt out, and you come home, and then I would start working on the other band stuff. And and the wooden ship stuff we wouldn't tour quite as much, right. so it was sort of like an interlude. And um, but now like the ships we don't really do much anymore. Um, the last record was a couple years ago, and we so haven't two, really. 2016, right? Oh, I don't. I don't even know. I don't know when V came out. Is it was it that long ago? No, it was 18. 18? I think 2018, <laughs> maybe. Sorry. No, it's fine. Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't know what we'll do. Like we don't see each other that much and yeah, have no idea. So for me now, it's like I, we do the Mundo stuff and when we take breaks and don't do anything, I'm just, it's just my mentality. I'm just like ready to do something else. Yeah. I like recording. I like writing songs. So There's a song on the new album, Lonely Places, that I feel like kind of evokes the solitary nature that a lot of us experienced last year uh and into this year of course um did you spend a lot of 2020 you know working on music and and recording as a as a way to just have a thing to do i mean it sounds like you maybe always are doing that um i yeah I, i'm not like when i get into it then i get into it and then i have times where i'm just not doing anything um and things are sort of percolating I feel like I need that time where I'm just kind of bored. I think that's where where boredom comes in handy. Yeah, you know, which is hard to find these days unless you really try. 
Just yeah, shut everything to, down. You have to actively attempt to be bored. I yeah. find myself struggling with it big time. Yeah. So I try to I try to have those times and but last year yeah, it was weird because we we got we came off the middle of a tour. We had to cancel half a tour because of the pandemic and we came home and I was still fired up and like so I just started working on that and and so throughout the year I'm always like jotting down little ideas and recording little ideas so then eventually I have like a trove of you know I 20 ideas and you know 15 of them are terrible and so I think well I got five good ideas I can almost make a record like I so I just get to work you know like do you use, do you use like snippets of the demo stuff in the finished product, or do you end up doing a lot of re-recording and re-sort of uh, arranging and all that stuff? My demos, like the demos, are like me talking into my phone or playing some guitar into the phone. I I have done some demos on like my iPad when on tour that have made yeah. it onto the record, and I'm not going to cool. say what what parts they are, but like. I think people would be surprised if like, yeah. oh, that guitar, you played that on your iPad. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, sometimes things just stick. If they, if it does get onto a demo, like that's in Pro Tools or something, there's a danger. I think it's, I consider it a danger. If you get attached to something like a lick or a, yeah. this is yeah. why I like the Neil Young approach where it's like, you just hit record and record your solo. Cause that's probably when you're going to get the magic. Yeah. If you do it like with a bad mic and you're like, well, I can always re-record this later. You're I've, I've done that. And I've had like bad recordings, make it onto records just cause I loved that take. And I've tried yeah. to do other takes and I can't like, I, yeah. I can't cause you can't replicate it naturally. Right. And you try to do new things and you're in the back of your head. You're always thinking about that last take. <laughs> it's yeah. really strange. Yeah. yeah. So like I, that capturing like lightning in a bottle, that kind of thing. I think it, for me, anyways, is important with the improv stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The solos and stuff. Well, I think uh, to to wrap things up a little bit, it's been really really fun talking. Um, I wanted to ask you about the initial sort of idea with R Rose City Band was that you kind of didn't want to talk much about it at all, um, and I remember. Uh, this is telling tales out of school, so I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. I'm about fine. to. I'm gonna name drop, but uh, but Daryl Norson, who you know, obviously we work with a ton at Aquarium Drunkard. He's one of my, you know, a a great dude, close confidant. Um, yeah, he sent me some of the, or he he sent me s something. I think it, the record was already even out, and I was like, what is the story here? You know, like the. Mm -hmm. And he was just like, yeah, it's, it's Ripley. And I was like, well, no, he produced it. <laughs> you know, like I wasn't sure at first, you know, and he <laughs> yeah. was like, no, no, I know. Um, what was your, what was your thought there? Um, in terms of, in terms of mystery, did you, did, were you, were you interested in sort of like maintaining some sort of mystique or was it literally just like you didn't want to deal with? I think the, I just think the ideal, like, when people encounter something for the first time, the ideal thing is to not have any kind of backstory or reference and you, right. or someone you know or you've heard of before and let people experience it as they as they come to it, which is the yeah. way I like to discover things like in the record store and you see something that looks really cool and you buy it and it's really cool and you're psyched, Yeah, um, which is harder and harder these days. Um, but it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's a, something that we do with, with the wooden ships with the first 10 inch 
I just self-released it. In fact, I, I posted something online and said, I, I actually gave out free copies. It was free. If you just sent me your address, I would mail you one for free. And that's how the wooden ships got started really. Um, yeah. So for this, yeah, I just wanted, I wanted, I was hoping that at least some people I knew it would be obvious that it was me. I, in fact, I was talking to someone about this recently too. Like, it was like, yeah, it was pretty obvious it was you, but um, I wanted some people at least to experience it and not be like, oh, it's the guy from Wooden Ships or it's the guy from Munda. Just right. like, just have it, have its own life, at least for a brief period. Because then after, you know, after you put out one record, everything gets contextualized and you're always, everything else is in, you know, relation to that original thing. Yeah. It's, it's just such a precious moment to me when you do one, your first thing. And I, if I ever do another band, I'll probably do the same thing. Just sneak try, it out there. Try to sneak it out and let, and also you get to know if people really like it or not, you know, or if they're just, you know, writing about it cause they've heard of you or whatever. Yeah. I think that that's really an interesting, so much of, of, I guess like I can't I can't really claim that this was the way I experienced music when I was when I was a kid. It's more so than now, you know. But it used to be for sure that you just you wouldn't necessarily know anything about what you were listening to. Um I I did an interview today with like somebody who's been in in the music world for, you know, 60 years, 60 plus years and he was talking to me about listening to a James Brown record, you know, and looking <laughs> at the cover. Yeah. And uh, live at the Apollo, and he's like, and then the the crowd would cheer, and I would just be like, what are they doing on stage <laughs> that's causing the cheer? You know, like what's happening? Uh, yeah, yeah. And I just there's something <laughs> so interesting about that. Like it's not 100% context free, you know. Yeah. But the role of imagination. That's where boredom and imagination are tied, right? Like they 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 share a lot of they share a lot of the the same space and uh and i guess that's why boredom being such a rarity in our day-to-day lives is probably pretty pretty bad overall for our brains you know i i think i don't so. know <laughs> I, I mean who knows who knows it's a different world i live in i feel like i live in a different world because i'm from a from a different time you know i really feel like i you know when i was growing up you know you could talk to someone who's like i you know, I remember before there were cars or, or, yeah. phones or you know, you could still meet someone who was 90 in the 80s. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, I remember yeah. seeing my first car. Yeah. Like, wow, that's amazing. And now I feel like having grown up before the internet, it's just such a, it's such a huge change to our society and to the world that I'm from the before times. And I definitely like that. I used to stare at record covers and try to glean information out of like, Neil Young records like who's playing on this one like what's yeah. this what's this guy's deal like who's David Briggs like why is yeah. you know, team on a different record and you'd make those connections and yeah a lot of it was your imagination you'd imagine what it looked like or what it felt like to be in that room where they were playing and stuff the great uh the great pedal steel player uh Barry Walker Jr is on Earth Trip did did you yes. discover him from looking at credits on an album or or did you or did you know him some other way no, I I'm a fan of his band Mouth Painter that he has with his wife, um, and he's local. And he's a friend of of my friend John Whitson, who who runs Holy Mountain. He's also based here, um, 
so he introduced me to Barry and, you know, we just had like a, a few brief words at a show once and I just sort of cold, cold called him and said, you know, would you be up for recording some pedal steel? And he said, sure. And I sent him tracks. I didn't even meet up with him. And he just, he sent me back stuff. And I was just like, this is the guy like this. Yeah. He's not like a, like there are great pedal steel players who play straight Nashville style or whatever. He plays with a style that's just right up my alley. You know, it's just like he was hitting all the right notes for me. Like, yeah, I was amazed. Yeah. So he's, he's special. I think. He's got some of that cosmic thing in there, and that's that thing that we're that we st- where we started off, where it was just like, that's right. you know, there's always going to be a little bit of that. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm ex- I, I'm glad that there's that psychedelic thing, that little that spacey cosmic thing that gets introduced into what you do. It makes it a lot of fun to listen to, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me about it, man. Thank you. It was fun. I was. I, I'm glad you didn't say like, yeah. The reason I didn't say who I was in Rose City Band at first is because I just I hate doing interviews. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I like conversations. Like I like. Yeah. I do hate interviews. Like mostly, I hate interviews, but only when it's like, I'm just asking people ask me pointed questions about like. Yeah. Yeah. But we can have a conversation. It's really nice. Yeah, I I agree. That's what I've re- I've been very happy to let this podcast really become that. You know what I mean? It is it, yeah. you know, I'll I'll cut all this out of the no one wants to listen to me talk about what I'm trying to do on my <laughs> no, podcast. On let my him, podcast. Let him, <laughs> let him hear it. Let him hear it. It's a great podcast. I was just listening to the Jim Jarmish episode the other day. Oh man. And it's great. He he's such a great what a generous storyteller he is. Like, I, I that's one of those that's one of those interviews where uh i i mean i just i feel like i don't all i i just had to drop like a little drop a tidbit and then he's gonna say this brilliant beautiful thing drop another tidbit and he does another it it was great i mean it was such a such a fun one to do yeah yeah he's he's a wonderful guy yeah yeah and a fan of yours oh good i I believe we played together right we played together Shit, yeah. I didn't realize that you guys had played together. <clears throat> we did a Moon Duo thing with him in Brooklyn for a Sacred Bones event. Okay, cool. Yeah, so we collaborated. Cool. We did like a we did a set with him. It was awesome. He was he was on guitar. Yeah, cool. We played cool. some some squirrel stuff and we did some Moon Duo stuff and yeah, it was really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to uh, have had you on, and Ripley, I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for for your patience, and uh, thank you. And we'll 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 talk again soon. Hopefully, you'll be able to get on the road at some point and come out to the desert. And that would be great. I would love that. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Jason Woodbury. I write, host, and produce transmissions. Our audio is edited by Andrew Horton. Sarah Goldstein creates art for the show, and our executive producer and top of the show announcer is Aquarium Drunkard founder, Justin Gage. Tune in every Wednesday night on Sirius XMU, 7 p.m. California time for his weekly show, The Aquarium Drunkard Show. If you dig transmissions, leave us a rating and a review. It helps new people find the show. Aquarium Drunkard is on Patreon if you want to take things to the next level. 
I'm on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at Jason P. Woodbury. Let me know what you're digging about the show. Let me know who you'd like to hear on here. And you can find all of our contact info at Aquarium Drunkard as well. We'll be back next Wednesday with special guest Rodrigo Amarante discussing his new album, Drama. Until then, stay cool and stay safe. This is Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. Waterfall. World is coming to a soul.